Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode is sponsored by Zengo. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, it's me, Zach Seward. You're watching Coindesk TV. We're The Hash. We're glad you're here. I'm joined by Adam Levine, Jensen Assey, and Will Foxley. Will Foxley a story about some bear market things. Will, start us off. It's not a story you want to start the day with, but nonetheless, very important. Nidig has laid off 33% of its staff as of September 22nd, according to a new report from the Wall Street Journal that came out yesterday. This is big news because Nidig has a very important place within a lot of different parts of the cryptocurrency ecosystem. They're well known for their large raises, trying to bring Bitcoin to the masses via banks. Not sure if that really panned out. According to some quotes within this report, there's a lot of confusion over what NIDIG was trying to do. There wasn't a lot of implementation. And now they've laid off about 110 staff. Interesting things about this report is that there's not really a lot of clear information from the executives about like how this layoff occurred or why it occurred and when it occurred. It just sort of was trickled out there. And that's why we have a report and not necessarily like a blog post from NIDIG itself. Zach, I want to throw this one over to you. Nidig has been a big player during the, the bull market 2021. And to see this layoff, like it's not surprising. We're going to a bear market, but it is surprising because Nidig has a lot of money. I think they raised like $1.4 billion in total. Yep. And now they're cutting back. 100 folks out the door. Some good reporting from Tracy Wong, Danny Nelson, and a couple others on the CoinDesk side to advance this story, quoting some unnamed former employees saying, quote, they blew through all their money telling a story that they would bring Bitcoin to the masses. Their core strategy was blundered. And there you have it. They're cutting jobs as proof, potentially, of that being a bit of a blunder. We also saw a leadership shakeup here not long ago. That was announced. This is all, again, through sourcing. Uh, so uh, clearly something was not great over there when we last talked about the CEO and president being shuffled to different parts of the parent company. So yeah, down bad along with the price of Bitcoin. And as a result, people are out of work. Tossing it over to Jen for her thoughts. Yeah, Zach, that quote you read at the beginning of your take, I want to just counter it with a story we spoke about two weeks. So when we talked about the CEO and president being reshuffled, 
The exec chairman was reported as saying, the firm's balance sheet is the strongest it's ever been, and we're now investing aggressively in a capital-starved market. It's not a good look to say that and then two weeks have 100 people laid off. It's just every single time we talk about these layoffs, it's not a good look. It's a PR nightmare. It is definitely possible that they do have a bunch of money on their balance sheet. They want to invest it into different areas of the market and they don't need as much staff, but this just looks so bad and again, looks so out of touch. Adam, what do you think? So I'm going to take a slightly different approach here. Again, I think that in a bear market, it gives you a pretense to do a thing that maybe you'd wanted to do kind of all along, but didn't really kind of have the ability to do it because there wasn't kind of a catalyst for it. This provides a catalyst for it. And David Z. Morris had a piece a couple of days ago talking about Archegos and, uh, and Credit Suisse, I believe, also. And in it, he had a really kind of uh, interesting insight, which was talking about how as a bank, it's much better to be viewed as mercenary and evil than it is as incompetent, right? <laughs> and so I think that the same thing might apply here is that, again, for these financial companies, like it's, it's okay if it looks like you're out of touch and like not doing the right thing for your employees, because that's not really the market that you're serving. You're serving the market that aggressively wants you to make money for it. And in that way, it might actually be better to take moves like this and take advantage of kind of the market low with the cash that you're not spending on these people versus continue to give everybody that role moving forward. Will? Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. I think that a lot of times during these bear markets, we have an opportunity or companies have an opportunity to cut staff that did not want to be there in the first place or found out that they didn't want them. During a bull market, opposite is true, right? We have this aggressive hiring that it sort of bends practices and you pick up people that you shouldn't. And then during a bear market, you shed them pretty fast. And I think it's also notable to say like, this isn't just a crypto thing. This is a tech thing. This happens in technology all the time and it will continue to happen because technology moves so quickly and there's so much capital involved. People have to move very fast and make interesting decisions. That being said, I do want to like hone in on some of the quotes that Zach brought up. That NYDIG strategy, there's some insider leaks from the information here that they didn't necessarily have a plan, right? They were banking on banks being able to implement Bitcoin right into their accounts. That seemingly has not happened. And I think if you look at banks, it makes sense, right? It takes banks forever to do anything to add any sort of new feature. They're very slow and they're slow on purpose. And adding something like Bitcoin into their backend, that's going to take a while. I mean, I remember from about a year ago, there was a huge announcement about NYDIG working with a ton of different commercial banks all around the United States to implement Bitcoin into their backends. I haven't seen really any updates about that. And I'm wondering why at this point, not saying that it hasn't happened, but I'd like to see more reporting around the products that NYDIG has rolled out. Zach, back up to you. Yeah, you know, we say like the price doesn't matter, but the price as a barometer of retail interest certainly matters, right? And these announcements came out when the price, and therefore the retail interest was high. Now the price is low, the retail interest is low, the desire to, to provide these services to a less than interested audience, that may have gone away. And as such, the plan is sort of like, you know, in dire straits. And as such, they're cutting staff because that's what they have to do. So anyway, that's just the thought that came to mind as you were putting that together because I think it is a good point to point out. But Adam, I'm going to toss to you for last thoughts on this one before we change this. Actually, I'm going to kick it right on to Jen, who I saw I had some final thoughts on this one. Well, I was just going to respond to Zach, what you're saying. I think during a bull market, a lot of crypto companies underestimate what it's going to take to actually bring crypto to the masses. And it's only in, when we hit the bear market and all of the, the excitement 
goes away, that that kind of comes to fruition. And Adam, to your point, yes, I think that companies are allowed to lay people off, but I think that there is a way to do it where you don't have your employees going and speaking to the media, not wanting to be named and revealing what was going on behind the scenes because they don't think that you're running the business properly. I think there's a balance. And when things like this happens, it points to maybe a bigger culture problem that has been brewing and could end up being a PR nightmare, which then could affect your investors in the long run. And so I think the two kind of just go hand in hand. I think that's a reasonable perspective. Well, thank you, Adam. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, I think let's move on to our next story here. Uh, So yesterday was another important milestone on what I like to call crypto's road to boring, where once what was once risky and exotic becomes, well, just another part of everyday life. Today, we're talking about that in the context of stablecoins as the original dollar reserve backed token, Tether, announced that they no longer hold any reserves in what's known as commercial paper or unsecured debt attached to specific companies. When we first got a look at how Tether managed their money, which was many years after they got started with the project, folks were somewhat shocked to see that they'd invested a vast majority of their funds in that way. And the company has been drawing down those balances pretty aggressively ever since. In a blog post published yesterday, the company announced that it now held U.S. treasuries in the place of commercial paper, which honestly, with interest rates running as high as they are, makes a lot of sense. But it is still kind of hilarious to me that uh, you know, literally tens of billions of dollars worth of government debt is now financed by a stablecoin company, which the U.S. itself doesn't really seem to like very much. <laughs> well, we've been on this path for a while, and U.S. treasuries now account for more than half of Tether's reserves. What's your thinking on that? And then also, if you've got any ideas, I'm kind of looking for my next angle. Where do you think the road of boring is going to take us after this? The road to boring. We'll have to find out. I love how you're tracking it, though. The The one thing I do want to bring up is just like demystifying stable coins, right? Why do stable coins have a backing and what do they choose to back them with? And traditionally, they've used sometimes other stable coins or they've used commercial paper. They've used anything that allows them to create some sort of yield. Stable coin issuer like Tether, USDC, Paxos, they want to take money in their doors and then they want to get interest on top of that by lending out to the market. And they want to find something that gives you a little bit of interest so that you can earn some money, but not too much risk so that you lose the money entirely. And that's when this report came out about Tether a few years ago about them using uh, commercial paper. People are a little bit worried because they're like, well, that's short-term unsecured debt from a company. And what could happen if that company can't pay up that debt? Well, then your Tether is backed by nothing. And Tether, to its point, said, no, this is pretty standard. A lot of people use commercial paper to back things, and it makes sense. I think it did spook some people. However, now what we're seeing is they're turning over to U.S. Treasuries. And the rationale for that, as much as Tether likes to say that it's because they want to make it more secure or whatnot, I think it's because they're chasing the yield. And U.S. Treasuries are going up right now. Ever since we've seen interest rates go up, U.S. Treasuries have been following them. They're up to about 3%. That's versus anything else in the crypto market. You can't really get anything else. And to prove that point, look at MakerDAO. They're actually trying to add $500 million worth of U.S. Treasuries into their balance sheets at the same time while they're trying to divest from things like USDC. Why? Well, you can't really get a yield on USDC right now. If you're trying to put a USDC out for a loan on something like Aave or another DeFi protocol, you're getting less than 1% interest back on that. So they're going to turn more and more to USTs, get that 3% interest rate. And that's where the road to boring is, I think, really, Adam. It's, hey, we're going to have this little marginal increase in interest rates and people are just going to be chasing after those I'm going to throw it over to Jen and get your take on the story. Yeah, so I think with Terra Luna, stablecoins lost a lot of trust. And I know that the, that Terra Luna is a different product than this. It was a 
backed by an algorithm. This is not. But I think that when it comes to the mainstream and how regulators are looking at stable coins, this is just, you know, in Tether's best interest to blast this news everywhere. I think I want to point to a tweet. I don't think we have it to pull up, but Tether CTO Paolo Arduino tweeted yesterday, proved to be the only company to be able to pay $7 billion in 48 hours. That's 10% of reserves and $20 billion, which is 25% of the reserves in 30 days. Ask your bank or other stable coins if they can do that. I loved reading that little dig to banks. And I think that, you know, Tether keeps trucking along. This is definitely a road to boring story. And Adam, you said you wanted a graphic for this segment. I imagine it as the price is right mountain, right? And you are like mm. picking away at the road to boring. And when we finally get there, you fall off of the cliff because we have no more boring <laughs> stories to talk about. <laughs> Hopefully control uh, can make I like that the metaphor. That's too exciting. <laughs> that graphic is too exciting for the road to boring. The road to boring is just flat. Too exciting. Boring. It's, it's the opposite. It's, it's, it's going uh, down and then it's just flat at the end of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> mm, off there yet? Are we there yet? Yeah, I don't know. It is funny to see Tether like go through this whole image rehabilitation process. Like Tether now is like, we're transparent. We're good. No commercial paper. It's crazy. It's, it's baffling. Anyone who was here in like, I don't know, 2017, 2018, the amount of Tether FUD out there was crazy. And now it's like, hey, we're solid, upstanding citizens. And Paolo is out here thumping his chest and hey, I got to give it to him. But, you know, it's tough. It's tough at the same time. Anyway, interesting to see this materialize. Certainly, yeah, this race for transparency and race for solid reserves backing some of the dollar-backed stablecoins in the market. Not unique to Tether, certainly also the case with USDC. Zengo Crypto Wallet is an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability, leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which until now has only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions. Zengo is the most secure Web3 wallet and the best place to keep your digital currency, NFTs, and assets secure. It's also fully recoverable using the wallet's biometric recovery kit. Get started at zengo.com hash and use code hash to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Coindesk's Women Who Web 3 podcast, your weekly podcast celebrating women supporting women, investing in women, and bridging the gender gap in wealth through Web 3. Each week, we'll be learning from powerful women, sharing their insights on topics like creating belonging and inclusivity in the digital spaces, the metaverse, building prosperous Web 3 projects, investing in cryptocurrencies and building wealth. And we have how-tos from founders and builders who have been there and done that, healing sessions to give you the power to overcome imposter syndrome and everything you need to level up in your crypto journey. At the end of each podcast, stick around for some Zen with a relaxing meditation to center you after absorbing all the stories and the knowledge. I'm your host, Cams, and I'm on a mission to empower women across the globe to unlock the unlimited potential and earning power inside themselves through Web3. Whether you're just crypto curious or a crypto connoisseur, this podcast is for you. Let's get it. All right, we're going to talk about Binance. Binance is rolling out a $500 million fund to provide lending support across the crypto mining sector. Now, this is a pretty big fund. Interesting because mining stuff pretty distressed right now. 
probably a lot of inventory out there, probably a lot of miners struggling right now. So for Binance to step in with a big old fund is interesting and it's timing. Maybe they see this as an opportunity to buy low, sell high, but they're committing some serious funding <laughs> to this effort, at least according to this headline. We'll see what comes of it. All right, Will, he's going to do this whole disclosure thing and he's going to be like, don't listen to me. Don't trust me. Not this I'm time. A mining firm. Oh, okay. he's going to answer a bunch of questions. No. Let's go. Will, what does it mean? <laughs> what does it all mean that CZ has, is committing all this funding toward the mining sector? What does it mean? You guys ready for a little ad? No. Disclosure, I do work for a mining company. So there you go. Uh, take everything I say with a grain of salt. This is an interesting headline because miners are not doing great right now. The mining industry has the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And a big part of this is because they're limited by physical reality, as opposed to all your token peddlers out there who can just spin up an ERC-20 contract and make a bunch of money really quickly and just have to pay for developers and cushy WeWorks. Miners have to go buy physical infrastructure. They have to go buy energy contracts. They have to go buy machines. And so when those things can't pay off in time, like you want to, because Bitcoin's price goes down so quickly, then you really are stuck in a tough place. Binance is coming in right now and dangling a little cash in front of miners. They're offering 5 to 10% interest rates on loans, which actually undercuts a lot of the larger market. And they're able to do that because Binance itself has a lot of cash. So that's the interesting thing to me to see Binance moving out there in the landscape, undercutting all the other lenders out there because it has so much money. I think it speaks to Binance's place within the market. Adam, I'll throw it up to you for your take. Yeah, it's a classic bear market story. I'd completely agree with you on that, Will. Again, this is about companies that have the cash looking around for opportunistic gets, and this is a good one for them. Again, like miners have been hit by a whole bunch of different things, not just the real world stuff, but again, geopolitics have come into play here. You know, the cost of electricity has been going up and up for many of these miners, and many of these miners also took out debt that was denominated in US dollars at the same time as when their price of the crypto that they're mining has been going down and down and down. So all of these things combine together to make it such that the miners who are going to be alive at the end of this thing are going to be one of two types of things. One, they're going to be the more conservative ones that did a better job of managing their risk going into these types of market conditions. But then on the other side, they also could be ones who are friendly with Binance or friendly with any of these other lenders who are out there who are willing to sort of bail them out and get them through this period of time. So Again, classic bear market story. I think that this is exactly where Binance is continuing to operate, much the same way as Sam Bankman-Fried backed FTX is operating right now, too. So, you know, opportunities will come, and this is certainly a time of opportunity if you're not in the, you know, in the soup right now, so to speak. Uh, Jen, down to you. Yeah, Will, I have a question for you. Surprise, surprise. Oh no. So my, my no. Miners are distressed, right? And we we talk about these bailouts that are coming from companies like Binance and others, but. Are you seeing mining companies looking to diversify the same way exchanges are now? I think there was a story the other day about BitNile that was like building a Bitcoin marketplace. Is this a smart strategy for miners to look at or do, do the miners need to just put their heads down and get through the bear market? Distressed miners might be my favorite uh, crypto native term. Just want to throw that one out there. But I, I do think that it's a smart play for some miners out there right now, right? They want to keep going and you have to keep getting your business moving. You have to get cash flows. And if you don't have that, then guess what? Like you're out of business and you have to start over somewhere else. And it is a bear market, as Adam said, like there's going to be some tough times ahead. And if you can get a loan with a decent interest rate, then you can keep your business moving in hopes of better times ahead. 
it's just like the larger industry. Like there's layoffs. We just talked about NIDIG. There's a bunch of other layoffs out there. And these companies they might have to seek finances as well. They might have to seek other ways to keep their business afloat. Miners are just very transparent because they're, a lot of them are very public. There's about 20 plus, 25 plus publicly listed miners out there. That's the largest sector of cryptocurrency being public compared to anyone else. We only have like Coinbase and a few others that are public in terms of crypto industry companies. So a bunch of publicly listed crypto miners. And so we have a lot of access to their financials, a lot of access to their information. And then we can look and say, hey, like they need money to keep moving. By that, I'll leave that one there unless, Zach, you have one other thing for us. I just wanted to say Distress Miner is also a good band name. Distress you know, Miner. If we wanted to get we that We could up. start a band, I think, in our spare time. Be cool. Mm -hmm. All right, that'd be fun. All right, let's change gears. I'm giving it to Jen. I think we have an interview coming up. Jen, what do you got? We do have an interview coming up. So Unstoppable Domains has partnered with Crypto Connection and her DAO LATM to create Unstoppable Women of Web3. Together, they have made the commitment to onboard more than 5 million Latinas into the space by 2030. Joining us now is Sandy Carter, Senior VP and Channel Chief at Unstoppable Domains to tell us more. Hello. Hello. So glad you didn't have me on that road to boring story, huh? <laughs> yeah, this is definitely a road to excitement. Don't worry about that. <laughs> why don't you start off by telling us why we're focusing on LATM? We talk so much about education in the space. We talk so much about closing the gap. Why are we starting with LATM? Yeah. So if you look at Latinos, historically, Latinos are underrepresented in the tech market. Only about 2% of computer-related jobs are in the U.S. held by Hispanic women. So the same is true in Latin America, where Latinos are underrepresented in all kinds of STEM fields. So we wanted to supplement what we're doing today in English with providing education for Latinas across the world. And our mission is to onboard 5 million Latinos by 2030 into Web3. So I know that you were talking about transitioning Web2 female developers over to Web3. Why are we starting there and not looking at education at a, with a younger audience? Oh, we're doing actually both. So we actually have in the Unstoppable Women of Web3, which was started and founded on March 8th of this year, we have a couple of different education streams. We have one for women overall in English, and we just introduced Unstoppable Women of Web3 education for girls. In fact, from age four to 18, uh, I was just able to witness a six-year-old teaching about a smart contract to her four-year-old sister. So we are starting with younger as well. But we also saw a lot of demand for other languages. In particular, Spanish came up over and over again. Latino women are extremely interested in the space and they just need some more education. So we're starting with education like Web3, use cases that are used today, decentralization, wallets, NFTs, and more. So we're launching workshops as well as virtual education streams and working with the universities to provide that in most of the Latin America uh, universities. Great to have you on the show today. I'm, I'm curious about the 5 million number and how you guys came to that decision. That's a pretty ambitious goal if you look at crypto right now. Do you see that as more of like a self-fulfilling thing because so many people are going to become involved in crypto over the next decade? Or is it more just because you guys have a lot of resources you're able to push forward with unstoppable domains? Well, I would say it's a bit of, the, of both. We have partnered with Crypto Conexion, 
uh, Herdal, Latam, as well as Bit2Me. Bit2Me is based in Spain, the other two based in Latin America. So the demand has been really high. And so we decided we really needed an execution plan to make this happen. Uh, We looked at the number of women that are Latina today and the number of women that were very interested. We wanted to give ourselves a bold goal, not something we could knock out of the park, but something that was doable. And we felt that 5 million was the right number as we did the analysis of the market. There are so many powerful, uh, insightful women out there that are Latina, and we know that this can empower them to even do more in Web3 and the metaverse. Also imagine, you know, if you think about one of the things I love about Web3 is it's not just for technologists. Think about uh, community managers, because community is really important in the space. Creators of all kinds, artists, musicians, um, as well as the typical developers or folks who are working on chain or you know, looking at digital identity like Unstoppable does. There's so much opportunity in the space and the bear market is the time to build. So this is the time to get people educated and get them building. This is when the innovation happens, right, guys? Is in a bear market. Yeah, I actually want to follow up on that last point. Oh, Zach, you you got it. You got it, Zach. You follow up, my man. You got this. (laughs) Follow-up question I can really quick, then I'll bump it up to Zach for last take. Just got a lot of questions today. Bear market stuff. How do you guys see from an unstoppable domains perspective these sort of initiatives rolling out? Retail is always so finicky, right? Like everyone wants to be part of it, it's really frothy, and then all of a sudden everyone wants to leave and go out the door as fast as possible. When you're building these education campaigns, how do you build it so it's sustainable? So we're actually doing a lot of experimentation and work to ensure that we're developing the education in the right way and the right path. So we've done, you know, great mix in terms of video and audio and uh, white papers. We're also doing some great rewards like badges that will sit inside of that unstoppable digital identity. So the education itself is sticky. I don't see Web3 and the metaverse going away. I think it's only going to grow in importance. Every conference I go to, like I was just in the metaverse summit in uh, Paris, millions and millions of people are... Uh, you know, exercising in um, the metaverse and doing business in the metaverse and learning about the metaverse. I think the next generation is where this is really going to come to fruition. And so building education now is, is making sure that we have all of the requirements set in order to be successful as we move forward. So it's just like the typical thing that we did. I used to work at Amazon Web Services. Um, you know, we spent five years educating the market on what the cloud was, and then boom, the cloud burst into uh, into existence. The same thing will be true here in Web three and the metaverse. I believe doing the right job of educating, getting the you know that foundation built, will cause great things to happen as we continue to build through the bear market. All right. So my question is: This is a pretty audacious goal, and it seems wildly divergent from what I think of unstoppable domains as. Right? Well, unstoppable to me is I go, I can buy Zach.crypto, Zach.nft, or whatever. Right? So, and I think maybe I heard a little in the last bit of your statement there. But what makes unstoppable uniquely positioned to, to do this? Is this new? Like, why should we think that you're going to be able to accomplish this big goal of onboarding a significant chunk of people into the Web three ecosystem? Mm, that's a great question. So. Unstoppable Domains, obviously, is the company that I work for. And and Unstoppable Domains delivers digital identity. So Sandy.nft that then travels with you through Web3. What we did is we started a group called Unstoppable Women of Web3. It is a separate group. The founding partner is Unstoppable. 
but we have 130 companies that are now engaged in this group. So this is not Unstoppable doing this by themselves. This is Unstoppable with their partners. Some of those and partners include the who's who of Web3, like OpenSea, like Blockchain, like Opera. So all Binance that you were just talking about earlier, all those companies have signed a pledge committed to provide education and resources to help us in this initiative. But we also have some interesting Web2 companies that are also part of this. Google Cloud, for example, which just made a big announcement with a Coinbase. Deloitte, which is building up their uh, you know, best practices in blockchain. So there is a lot of uh, support around this. And in fact, when I first founded Unstoppable Women of Web3, I was hoping to get maybe 20 companies to come on board. Like I said, now we have over 130. This is important, not just to Unstoppable, but to our industry overall, to get more diverse people educated on this. Because we're so early, we're in the dial-up phase of Web3. You need all voices to be heard, not just a set of verses. All voices are going to be what help us to innovate and build throughout this, this market. All right. Well, we like the composability, the composable approach to impact and education. Noted there. Interesting stuff. All right. We're going to leave it there. That's, um, that's what we have for time today. Sandy, thank you for being here. Sandy Carter joining us from Unstoppable. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that's it for the show today. Thanks for watching us on The Hash. I'm Zach Seward. That is Adam Levine. We got Jen Sinassi and Will Foxley. We'll be back again next week. Hey, happy Friday, folks. It's a longer happy break Friday. than usual. Not 23, 30. Longer. It's Can't even do that math. One and a half hours. That's why you're here, baby. Love that. Thanks, Will. Appreciate it. All right. That's it for the show today. We'll talk to you later. Check us out on the podcast network. You can listen to us and so much more. A lot of good shows over there. Check it out. All right, that's it. Bye, everybody. Have a great day. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.